after our meditation now, I, I would like to talk a bit about compassion. And in this meditation now, I would like to point to one aspect of compassion. The Tibetan word for that is tseva, which uh, the teacher Tsiga Kongtul Rinpoche translates as tenderness. And it is referring to the felt sense of tenderness, warmth, softness, which uh, is an innate capacity. So according to the tantric view, compassion and all other states like anger, can be described as movements of the subtle energy body. So some people try to connect or cultivate or train in compassion through using an, a rational approach, like studying what compassion is <clears throat> and you know, what to say in your head, kind of loving-kindness meditation, like, may all beings be happy. And that's, that's, that might be a helpful part. In my view, more important is to become curious about how does it feel, what is the felt sense, what is the movement in the subtle energy body of warmth, of tenderness, of openness, of being touched. And when I say softness of the heart, uh, these movements of tseva, of that tenderness, of that softness, is not uh, necessarily located in the heart. So it is something which um, is expressed or is, can be experienced or is felt individually in different areas of the body, in your hands, in your belly, in the way you look, in your face. It is a movement which uh, softens and opens your whole body. So it can create some problems or a challenge when we here opening the heart and you know we're looking here and nothing happens and we don't feel anything we maybe feel just a rock and and then we come and we then we feel like we fail in the compassion meditation or in the loving kindness meditation if i say if i talk about opening the heart maybe i i would rather say, well, what I rather mean is you know, to open to open the heart of the whole body, the whole body as a heart, the openness of the whole body. You know, when we read or we train in compassion in the Buddhist tradition, just to this word training, you know, it's, it's like, you no, know, I need to become better at it, or you no, know, so I'm not compassionate enough. So I, I do some steps so that I become more compassionate. 
So I would rather encourage another approach also, and that is to become attuned and curious about these kind of movements which already happen naturally in your life. Kind of get to know that felt sense which moves moves through you in daily life, in moments where you water your plant, feed your cat, smile at someone, <coughs> open the door, help a friend moving, having a, te- a sense of tenderness and connectedness when you watch a movie, when you hear certain music. Also today, someone made the coffee and you are happy to you are happy to see some of the people here if you connected to them so that all that all that is uh, movements of that innate kindness of that capacity and then also noticing noticing the person who makes the coffee yeah so also looking looking outside where where is the movement of tenderness of consideration of people looking after each other in our daily life pausing there looking for the the goodness around us and feeling it and then also which is for some people maybe the most challenging to to notice the beauty and also the struggle with when you receive that kind of tenderness that kind of compassion that kind of consideration which we also do every day you know, from someone and when we would look back into our life, so many expressions of that in our life. You know, people who, who smiled at us, who helped us out, who supported us. As you, as you know, and sometimes we forget it, we, we were born naked and not knowing anything, and we are completely helpless. We were completely dependent on the capacity of others to take care of us. We wouldn't survive, not even the first day, without that beautiful, amazing capacity of human beings to look after each other. And it went on and on and on. I mean, someone told you how to speak, how to put on your clothes, how to eat. That was something we learned from others. We basically learned everything from others. I mean, how many creative new ideas do we have in one lifetime? It's... I don't. I'm just chewing and repeating what I've learned from others. Yes. Well, may I interrupt? Yes. 
Um, I'm uh, trying to discern what is uh, response of compassion and love and kindness mm. when I when I op- try to open up my heart or my body and soften mm. I could get words and a need to express the words and it seems at times it is out of love and compassion mm. but it's tricky because it could easily go yeah. into mild business yes i want to talk about that after okay. yes so okay. that kind of or exploring a little what's what's healthy compassion and and neurotic compassion or yeah. compassion as bulldozing compassion attack or yeah. burnout compassion or sometimes now in the professional helping business they sometimes they talk about compassion fatigue which is not compassion it can't be compassion that what leads into fatigue is not compassion in the sense of the Buddhist teachings. It's something else. Yeah. It's 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 like unhealthy compassion. Yeah. And that's, the, and, and that's, that's not that's important and yeah. so difficult. But I find it difficult because in these um, meditation groups and mm. people, they like are literal. They take it literally, that when you talk about in your heart, your body, yeah. that uh, it couldn't be a response of words in that. It's like they, because it comes in the forms of words, it's mm. not real. Mm-hmm. And that I think is mm. Mm, not true, but I've been met with that. and. It's, it's a mm. difficult question. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but I, I would say something yeah. about that. Yes. So let's uh, go back to taking our seat. So you take a few moments to adjust your posture so that you can connecting with a sense of presence and If you like, you can close your eyes and just take the time to check in and the breath is an ally. Sliding with breath and awareness into the felt sense of your body and maybe with the out breath there can be a bit of uh, relief in the belly and in the shoulders and the face and in that space you Notice your own energies. You notice what is here. And 
there is a sense that this space, presence, is receiving this moment. So you don't reach out, but you receive. You receive your breath, you receive the sounds, you receive your feelings. as a witness. You let yourself in. You receive yourself. and you receive the presence of the Buddha. The field of the group and our temple. and then into the space of awareness. Let's invite situations and people you have a caring, warm relationship. So imagine or remember situations where you felt that care, that warmth, how it was expressed in your gestures and your voice, the way you look at the person. Just as an experiment, we can't force anything here, but just as an experiment. To notice if you can use mental images, memories, <coughs> your imagination, to get a sense of tseva in your body. Offering service, healing, support, an open listening to a person or to your pet. preparing a meal for other people, 
being genuinely interested in them. And be curious. of that movement in your subtle energy body. And you breathe with that. Hugging someone, <clears throat> and uh, we are looking for a subtle, a subtle movement. So it's not doesn't need to be dramatic, it's very ordinary. And in this moment we can also appreciate that we are doing this exploration together. Exploring something we all share. It's uh, an innate capacity in all humans. And in many, many animals. Find the right balance between uh, being with words and images and uh, feeling the movements in your body. And breathing with that. For a few minutes, sit with the confidence that you are a good person. If there's something which seems to sabotage that softness, that tenderness. Try to be soft and tender with that.
that part of you which is closed or afraid, disappointed. And then the other direction could be to connect with receiving friendship, warmth, a genuine question, a smile, a coffee, a favor, a gift, a supportive word. genuine interest of your friend or partner or the happiness of your dog when you come home or your cat not so much the cat maybe So recognizing the movement of Tseva around you. Recognizing the presence of Tseva in this room. Noticing the whole energy body. And also there, being curious about what is sabotaging. And being kind with that. shying away from receiving kindness, support, love, compassion. For some people it's even more of a challenge to be a gracious, gracious receiver of Deva than a gracious giver. And both is equally important.
then letting go of the images, just breathing for a few more moments with what is. it's necessary to to make some advertising for compassion what what is compassion good for i think uh, we all have a, the sense that uh, it's uh, it's uh, a capacity we all have as humans and which is actually absolutely necessary for our survival even even more so even more urgent in our times It is that which we admire in people the most. And it is that which makes our life really meaningful. You know, there's compassion training programs, uh, different, mm. which are uh, investigated into in Stanford University and things like that. So even on a happiness scale level or immune response and resilience uh, measurable level, it's just good for us to be co compassionate. It would be a wise selfishness to uh, increase or to nurture that innate capacity as a response to the times where we are living. If we respond to what is happening with fear, with anger, with overwhelm, then we become part of the problem. Then we burn out. I remember one dream I had many, many years ago, just before I became a monk, 
I had this dream uh, of a demon who was living in a tree and uh, I had to deal with that demon and uh, in that dream uh, Lama Sopa appeared as a farmer with rubber boots and a green overall <laughs> and uh, he, he came to me and he said the only protection is compassion. So then it's good to reflect a bit on what, what started with the question before the meditation. So healthy compassion, genuine compassion, and Trungpa Rinpoche calls it idiot compassion, which is a bit maybe a bit uh, disrespect uh, is expressed there. but like unhealthy compassion, neurotic compassion, compassion which, which, is, uh, which is contaminated with this, which is, uh, you know, it can be, com- I mean, in the traditional teachings, you would say it's contaminated by what is called the eight worldly dharmas. But before that, uh, I want to reflect a bit on compassion and, uh, of course, this many definitions and things uh, and then also um, you know loving kindness compassion love you know so I mean there's definitions within the Buddhist tradition they differentiate it but you know I'm kind of talking about the same thing you know, so of course we can say okay compassion is this love is that empathy is that but it's it's like it's all connected with, for me, with the jewel of bodhicitta, with its many, many facets. Yeah. And uh, in our meditation now, I, I try to point out one of the facets, and that's the felt sense of that movement in our subtle energy body. There's a, there's a possible trap that we feel that compassion is something only in our thoughts. So one uh, one aspect of compassion is our capacity and our relationship to suffering. Our capacity to uh, be close to suffering, starting with our own suffering. So, on one hand, of course, we have this idea that compassion is wonderful and I want to be more compassionate, but compassion is bittersweet because it, 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 compassion cannot, genuine compassion cannot, uh, cannot arise without feeling suffering and without having a relationship to suffering. So, sometimes that Capacity, and again, it's human, it's innate, it's called empathic resonance. So we have that inborn capacity when we talk about suffering and other people to feel it. And and we are born with that capacity. Neuropsychologically, it is uh, expressed in what is called the mirror neurons. 
Every baby is born with that. And everyone has it, except people who through big pain and hurt, traumatized, develop a psychopathic structure. Otherwise, every human being has it. And a psychopathic structure was also born with that, was just traumatized and disconnected from that inborn capacity. So that's one gift of our meditation. And again, staying close and doing nothing is um, that we increase our capacity to be with our pain. So what is important here is to cultivate a container which is, stays close but isn't overwhelmed. And that's what we do in meditation. We do that through connecting with the resources I described, Buddha, Dharma, Sangha, groundedness, the posture, a sense of who you are also, of your boundaries. It's a paradox. Yeah? So in one sense, we would say we are all interconnected. We can't find a boundary. Uh, but it's also important in our development that we get a sense of this is me and this is the container. I am not the person I'm taking care of. I am in one sense, but I'm also a different person. I have my own space. In our meditation practice and our spiritual practice, we increase that capacity to be a space holder. And we do that through increasing wisdom, recognizing emptiness, the insubstantiality of feelings, the impermanence of everything, learning more and more to inhabit the loving witness. being connected with the body, increasing our capacity to put the oxygen mask first here. So for some people that is very difficult because there is the neurotic part, the anxious part, the part which says, no, I have to take care of others, the part which is feels obligated, which has lost connection with one's own boundaries and with one's own needs, or that, that part for whom it is important to appear as a compassionate, as a good person. Just the part out of habit to be the good girl, to be the good boy in the family. Yeah. So the, the, that part of us sometimes makes it difficult to start the nurturing, the soothing, uh, with ourselves. The, the part of us who can say no is sometimes underdeveloped, certainly here. Here in me, in, the, in this part, in this little part of the universe. So that's something, something I, I need to 
nurture and cultivate and train and it's so difficult for me and I guess for most, most of you here, for many here. And I, I think what some people would call compassionate fatigue is actually an expression of not doing that part of compassion, of healthy compassion, what I just described. So if they are, if whenever we allow suffering, pain to come into our awareness, then uh, it's so important to do that and to learn to do that in a way so that we don't get lost in it, that it doesn't become overwhelming, that it doesn't lead into resignation or despair or anger or, or helplessness. So the next part of compassion is, and again, that is something innate, and that is, and that's part of the definition of compassion in Buddhism is, sometimes that's the only definition you hear, it is the wish for the freedom of that suffering, the freedom of that pain. So this is expressed in the loving-kindness prayers. May you be free of suffering. May you be free of that suffering. So it is touching that suffering and being present to that suffering and being able to afford that because you have created a, a capacity, a space, you become a space holder, a witness. You, be, you are able to witness the unspeakable pain of another person and in the end of the world, of this planet Earth. Is that possible? Yes, it is possible. His Holiness the Dalai Lama can do it. And that, that is a compass. Yeah? So it's not like that we can just you know, do it in the same way, but it can be a direction. So that's the... It's maybe interesting to, to notice if there is also another felt sense of that a felt sense of that may you be free of suffering. In the, in the Tonglen practice then we go one step further. We even say if I could I would take this suffering upon me. I, I would do it. Like, like a mother would take the, the sickness of her child uh, upon herself, take it away. So the third part of compassion is the expression. Active, active compassion. So not only may you be free of suffering, but how can, be, how can I be of service in this moment? 
What can I say? What can I do? How can I contribute? So that's something sometimes, and also His Holiness sometimes criticized that in the Buddhist tradition, where that active expression of compassion, also in the monasteries, in the Tibetan Buddhist monasteries, was not developed. And he would say, like, they are our Christian brothers and sisters. They are really good examples because in the in the Christian uh, tradition, like in Germany, almost all hospitals are founded by Christian orders. Yeah. And some of them are still uh, within the uh, network of the Christian tradition. And some now are overtaken by the state or by the cities. So in the Christian tradition, that, that sense of service as, one, as part of one's spiritual practice, founding hospitals, schools, being engaged, so it's very important. And that's, it changes slowly in the Tibetan tradition, but uh, it hasn't been present. So for them it was more, the inner work was more emphasized. Contributing to the healing in the world through the inner work. Because there's a deep connection between our inner world and the outer world. So, compassion has the willingness to open to to one's own pain and with that increasing our capacity to be present for the pain in the world. Stay close. Stay close to yourself. Stay close to others. Stay close to what is happening around us. Not denying. And that's difficult. It's so difficult to be with the feelings of grief, of helplessness, of rage. Of uh, rage towards injustice. It's difficult. And then, may you be free of suffering. But then also, how can I be of service? And how that, how can I be of service expresses itself. There it is so, so important that we create spaces of stay close and do nothing and listen to your heart. If we don't do that, we might jump into too many things or into nothing because there's where should I, where can I offer my service? It's all too much. I don't have resources. So then we don't do nothing. And then, then we do nothing. So that, that pausing and feeling into what are you called for and within your boundaries and within your resources and within your capacities, where can you be of service and engage? It's also difficult. I mean, there's so many possible saboteurs of, you know, like feeling you never do enough, you should do more, and yeah, so all that, that stuff which makes it so difficult to be 
to be willing to serve and to engage ourselves where we can, in our little ways. And to feel where, where, where does your, you know, what kind of situation come into your life? What kind of people turn up in your life which you can serve, which you can help? Without overextending your own resources. And little, every little thing counts. It's little things. So then, just a few words about you know, that kind of healthy expression of compassion, which is empowering, which is happy in a way. I mean, if you see someone like a soul in the Dalai Lama, I mean, Mathieu Ricard won the prize of being the happiest, happiest person in the world, but maybe His Holiness is the happiest person in the world. So there is a way. I don't know how he do it, but how he does it really, but you know, I can feel into it. I can see it as my own potential also, and it has to do with that union of bodhicitta and emptiness. That's definitely the, the way he does it. Yeah? But to develop that view... Uh, that might be that might take a few more years or lives. So when we come into places in our life where we feel overwhelmed uh, by the suffering and we kind of give up and nothing, no, no impulse of service doesn't, it just doesn't arise anymore because how, what can I do? I'm just this one person, so it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what I do. I can't change that. Then uh, that's probably a sign of a, of a lack of wisdom. It's, it's a sign of that we dist the distortion, the dualistic distortion, that confusion or what is also called ignorance in Buddhism uh, is, is present. <laughs> so what we then need is more wisdom. If we emphasize the wisdom part and we come to the conclusion yeah it's all empty i can just sit here in my room and pray for the well-being of all beings uh, because it's all inside and there's actually nobody out there independently which is suffering then we have lost our way into what is called the abyss of nihilism so that's no, in, in the Buddhist teachings, we talk about the middle way. And it's that middle way between the abyss of nihilism, that, the, no, that nothing matters, and I don't do anything, I can't do anything, and anyway, no, nothing really exists, it's just all a dream. So that's one. And the other is, it's also serious and real and there's real people doing real suffering and it's all made for matter and it's all hopeless because I'm, uh, I'm this physical being in a physical body and I'm so small and there's so much suffering in the world so I, I, I don't do anything. So what's the middle way? I don't know. 
No, not really yet. But that's the direction, that's the compass. So there is that healthy compassion. Let's take His Holiness the Dalai Lama as an embodiment of that. Yeah. Or, you know, one teacher I know better is Lama Sopa Rinpoche. It's like a stream of effortless, joyful service in each moment, without agenda. It's amazing to see. And you can see that in His Holiness the Dalai Lama and also in, in Lama Sopa, that healthy compassion comes with an incredible vitality. It's, it's just, it flows through. That, that source of compassion is inexhaustible. It's almost like if you, you know, I mean, imagine you would have to keep up like a week with the Holiness the Dalai Lama. You couldn't do it. I mean, I saw people who tried to do that with Lama Sopa. It's just, it's impossible. You know, Lama Sopa always has a team of people because uh, around him because they need to do shifts. Yeah? Just bringing him the stuff he needs and bringing people into his room and giving him the emails and giving him something to eat and something to drink. And it's, it's amazing. And he's just sitting there, joyful, full of vitality, and having fun. The kind of what Trungpa Rinpoche calls idiot compassion. So that's a good... So it's important that we start to become aware not with a kind of critical, judgmental uh, view, uh, but uh, with curiosity. And then, and then uh, when, when we notice, and the question is not if that is happening, and the question is where. Yeah? Because right now, in, in the view of the dualistic distortion, and the identification with the body still, and the me, there will be, our actions and what we do will be contaminated, will be disconnected from that source. It's very important when we look into that direction and we become aware of these aspects in us, that we do it with kindness and humor and we understand, we start to see that these aspects, they exist in us because we have been hurt. We have been wounded. We have been, they are there because something happened to us in this life and previous lives. And in a way, you could even say that these parts are immature, but at that time when they appeared, necessary protectors. So just spontaneous to kind of uh, introduce some flavors of 
of these uh, of these paths. So one uh, is uh, that kind of uh, wanting to appear com compassionate, making it you know like. So the Instagram profile of being a kind person is more. That's the important thing. It's like um, the ego structure. The ego structure wanting to present itself as a kind and compassionate person. One way we uh, we can notice that part in us is. when we feel disappointed that that we don't receive the response to our incredible compassionate act which we expected or wanted so we do something and the recipient of that compassion of that gift is not only not saying thank you it's even like just she's just criticizing you yeah? So that would be a sign that behind that so-called compassionate act or that service that there is an agenda behind. Just a little story about that which I told before. You know, there was this uh, time of interview with Lama Sopa and th there was one man who you know, was you know, talking about this incredible offering he will make to... Um, to Lama Sopa, which was a special watch, like a very expensive watch uh, he had received from someone from his family and he wanted to offer it the guru and what an amazing offering that is. And if there would have been Instagram and Facebook, he would have probably made a picture about his amazing offering to the guru. So he makes this offering uh, to the guru, to Lama Sopa, and he comes out all happy and beaming and he sits a little around. The next person comes in, comes out, he has the watch. <laughs> and that destroyed the whole thing for him. Yeah. So the, the kind of the, the, the vitality and the joy of the giving. Yeah was completely destroyed because there was an agenda behind. He had ideas that Lama Sopa would really treasure the watch and would say, wow, what a wonderful gift and would put it into a special place or something like this. Then another flavor of this is that the yes we say comes because we are incapable to say no. So service and compassionate action is, is actually clothed, uh, like covering our incapacity to take care of ourselves and set boundaries and say no. So we say yes, and we feel probably in the moment or shortly after that was again a yes too much. But it already happened. We already made a commitment. We already said yes. And we say yes because we are afraid to, to say no, to, to put boundaries, to, 
And then from the outside, and even maybe for, from ourselves, we feel, wow, we are really, we are really on the path. We, we really say yes, and we really, you know, serve others. And so that, that would be, that would fall into this category, what is called spiritual bypassing. We try to bypass a necessary step, which in this case would be a healthy boundary setting capacity, a healthy kind of aggression even. So we try to bypass that because we are afraid of that energy, of that expression. So we jump into, yes, what can I do for you? But it could also be the opposite, that you really don't feel like, um, maybe I don't uh, manage to do this, I'm tired and all this kind of stuff. Mm. Uh, but. Uh, the reasons for doing it is stronger than this and the, the thing you say yes to is not today, it's in the future so it might change and you have strong reason for uh, <coughs> accomplish this and this kind of uh, happiness can arise mm. when the task is finished when you see it it worked, it was worth this. It can be uh, happiness arising yes. from that. Yeah, of course, when I, I talk about something incredible, complex with a lot of facets, so it, it's difficult to kind of make like clear categories of mm -hmm. that. So, again, the important thing is here to be aware to kind of look inside, what's going on? What are my intentions? What is my motivation? Which parts of me are involved here? Yeah, and and yeah, and there's there, there's all kinds of flavors, and it's 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 so rich that sometimes you almost want to give up, you know, because it's. But that's that's the direction to go to, like introspection. Get to know yourself. Uh, get to know the different, uh, the, the different parts of your, of the system, which you call yourself. Because I often hear uh, His Holiness talking about uh, uh, compassion is based on reason. Mm -hmm. Can you say something about that? And, and the anger is not, for instance, or the irritation is not based on. Uh, valid reasons. I don't know what he what he means with that. Yes. I'm thinking about um, sometimes compassion isn't only like being nice and kind. Yes. I have a um, mm. meeting tomorrow, which is quite challenging. I need to question a person's way to work. Mm -hmm. uh, because it's mm -hmm. causing a lot of troubles for others mm -hmm. and I've been really sitting a lot and reflecting why am I doing this, why am I going to this person and questioning mm -hmm. their ways of being yes. um, and there I, I somehow I'm I'm, um, I'm quite clear that th that's what I need to do 
Yeah. But I would I would need to like ask mm. do you have some kind of I, I know this looking inside and feeling mm. deeper what what is my motivation mm. but do you have some kind of um mm. more, we just did a meditation which which actually could be a good yeah way of looking inside and really being sure that I don't have another motivation somewhere behind you have of but my uh, own probably <laughs> I have thousands of them. <laughs> yeah yes um, uh, yeah yeah Yeah. So I, I will cause some suffering for, for the yeah. So that the that that's uh, uh, it's good that you say that. I I don't know if the, that would have come if I would just have continued to talk. Mm -hmm. And that's the question of the topic of like fierce compassion. Yeah. Like um, so, as you said, compassion is is not necessarily smiling and being nice. Yeah. So and and that's uh, that's a you know in in the Tibetan iconography it's it's expressed. I don't think there is one here, but uh, it's expressed. Small ones. Yeah, small ones. I, I exactly like Vajrapani, the the blue kind of demon there. So there is that that archetype of. Um, Uh, wrathful compassion, they call it. Yeah? Wrathful love, firm. Yeah, something which from the outside would um, maybe be even seen as aggression. Well, it is. It is an aggression. Yeah, maybe one can distinguish between uh, like anger and aggression or something like that. Yeah? So, yeah, that's a difficult, um, a difficult uh, era to explore. To this uh, thing we're talking about your job, I had a colleague who often asks questions which are not questions, mm. and he wants you to do your things. And one day I said no, and I, I crossed the line because I, I thought that perhaps I can be some kind of compassionate myself this time. Mm. And he was angry, and he said a lot of angry words. And then I said to him, uh, these angry words of yours, those are your feelings. Can you please take responsibility for that, for your own feelings? And don't, don't cast them onto me, because I'm not interested. And then he actually did this. And I felt I felt yeah. awful, I felt uh, you know, like a really bad person, but in the end it worked out. Yes, it's easy to see how that situation then could escalate. So it depends very much on, you know, how your relationship was and what kind of person, and also how you said it. You know, I mean, if you say some to someone who's angry, please take your responsibility for your feelings yourself. <laughs> it depends on where it comes from. Yeah. So, and I think that that's maybe uh, something, we have lunch break now, something um, uh, to bring into this question uh, a little bit also what you, you made the connection with the meditation on seva. So, uh, there is um, one, one teacher I like, uh, Robert, Robertus Augustus Master is his name, He calls it heart anger. So, 
So he goes to different skills we need to uh, develop in our connection to anger. But then he describes that uh, that possibility, and again, that would be a compass, maybe as a question, is it possible to be in a situation like that, where you need to be firm, where you need to give a feedback, and not to lose the connection with the heart? And you, you're not. So we, we have a bit of a feeling a sense of that that it is possible because we have done it yeah like i mean every mother here every father has done it countless times and also has failed in it so and it feels completely different uh, if you come from if you uh, set a boundary and you say no which you have to do with a child. It's kind of your job uh, to do that. And you have lost the connection with your heart, you will regret. You will feel, you, you, you know, you will feel, oh, I, I actually was not a mature person. I'm so sorry. I responded to my teenager as a teenager and it just escalated. Yeah. But if you have a connection with your heart and you say a no, then even if the other person gets angry and blames you, you feel confident. It was, I, I, it didn't come from hatred. And of course, it's a gray zone. So it's not like, it's like this or that. So, but let's go into the extremes. Yeah? If, we, if you imagine the extreme of you say no, you put a boundary, you give a feedback, and you have to do it if you are a team leader, if you're responsible for a team. You need to give feedback, you need to uh, tell people, you know, it, it's not working, the, no, this is, you know, you have to change this, you made a mistake here. But if you, if you feel, you know, maybe you have prepared it a little, like before the meeting, you took like two minutes to do some Tonglen practice, you wished the other person well, had some communication before, you stay connected with the goodness in you. And then you say something which might trigger fear or sadness or anger in the other person. You probably will be able to hold that, to hold, to hold the response, to be present to that, to that response and not turning it into a blame. To, towards yourself or the other person. So that's uh, the ideal of uh, the Bodhisattva heart anger. Which is compassion. One last thing to that. Which also uh, is a, a word, or like, yeah, a word I want to throw into how to be present with uh, people who are aging and dying, and that is respect, respecting other people. Yeah. So you can give uh, feedback to another person, which uh, might create some disturbances in the relationship or in that person, 
but you can do that respectfully. You respect the person as, an, as a fellow human being, as someone with Buddha nature, as someone who is confused just like you, as someone who wants to also be happy, and as someone who is affected by what you do and what you say, in the same way you are affected by what that person says. So it's like this Buddhist bow, you know, namaste. Yeah? I, I greet the divine in you. Th that kind of respect. I also, I mentioned like the outrage to injustice and the outrage towards the climate or the medical industry in our case. The medical industry, the pharmaceutical industry, the outrage and the speaking up and holding your ground. How can we manage to do that without falling into a disrespect of the people who work in these industries? Because then we are like them. We become like them. You're fighting for the good cause against the evil people there without any respect. Again, sometimes we need to maybe be a bit firm in our actions, but uh, we can still... I mean, it's amazing that capacity in, you know, between in, in, the, in, in the politics, this disrespect people have to each other because, because a person is conservative and I'm social democrat and, and yeah and, and but, but the, fortunately there's also politicians who are still able to be respectful despite differences but despite different opinions so that's uh, for me like a, a word uh, I want to throw into this and I'm coming particular from my experience now that because I spend a lot of time in this older people home now, it's so, it's so easy to, when you are in the helping role, trying to support people, that with time you fall into a disrespectful attitude. You, you kind of, you, you might lose that respect for, for a person as a person. Because even a very uh, an aging person, which is now, which can't do the things anymore as before, there's still such so much wisdom and, and um, qualities in that person. This is uh, really difficult for me when I when I notice in the voices and the way people are treated there by the by the staff by the doctors, it's like there's disrespect. So I, it's really I mean, this namaste, you know, bowing, internally bowing to someone before you, when you enter a room, when you, I, I greet the divine in you. Mm.
in, in Austria they say Grüß Gott. Yeah. Similar, like. It's like remember the Buddha nature and the mm. redemption. Mm. It's like uh, taking refuge. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. No, the, uh, an expression, a compassionate wish towards a person who is in power and who is uh, creating a lot of suffering could be, may you awaken to your awake nature. No? May you awaken to your true nature. 